Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And we're here with you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays exploring the big money issues in the world of sports, talking to some of the biggest and smartest players across the industry. Today, we are delighted to be talking with Jeff Benedict. He's the author of a new book. It's called The Dynasty. It's all about a little team called the New England Patriots. Lynchy, eh, passingly familiar with them. And it is a fantastic book. Both of us just devoured it. Uh, Jeff, really nice to have you with us. Hey, thanks to having me on, guys. Good to be here. There are so many places where we could begin with you and highly recommend this book, whether you're a Patriots fan or whether you just want to understand what has gone on across what is clearly a dynasty. I want to start by asking you about Robert Kraft, who you clearly spent a lot of time with for this book. You have so many rich details about his life and his ownership of the Patriots and his life leading up to owning the Patriots, even the the wooing of his late wife, Myra. As a businessman, how would you characterize him? Hmm. Uh, That's a great question. Uh, I would characterize him... He, he is the he is to business what Belichick is to coaching and what Brady is to quarterback. Uh, I think simply the best. Um, and I I wouldn't have said that going into this project because I had no point of reference for him as a businessman. I I mean I think one of the benefits from my perspective was I didn't know really anything about his business background until I started working on the book, and I was so fascinated by the fact that his his pedigree as a businessman was so rich and so diverse before he got into professional sports. Um, he had an international footprint. He had businesses and companies that he ran from, you know, the tip of Canada to the Middle East to the Asian Rim. Um, I think one of the things that Paul Tagliabue was so astounded by when Will McDonough first introduced Robert Kraft to Paul um, 
this was right before Robert bought the team. I think Paul was stunned to see a gentleman who who had such a diverse business background, who was truly a citizen of the world, who had all these uh, relationships and unique business background experiences that were foreign to the rest of the owners. And I think Tagliabue saw a man who could actually have a huge influence on the league in terms of their media, their television contracts, their labor deals. Um, Obviously, all of that eventually happened, and Kraft would emerge as sort of the the most uh, influential owner in the league. But I think Tagliabue saw that early, and I started seeing that as soon as I started not only interviewing Robert, but interviewing, I interviewed a lot of the people who have done business with him outside of the NFL, and I was frankly astounded by some of the things he'd accomplished before he got into football. Jeff, um, let me ask you, uh, to be a great owner, you have to know when to be hands-on and hands-off. Would you say the experience with Parcells uh, was a, a great learning point for Robert Kraft uh, in that concept? I think there's no question that the, you know, the, the three years that Kraft spent with Parcells were the three most trying years of his ownership tenure. Um, you know, I, I think what you can draw from it was like a refiner's fire for Kraft. That experience, while bitter and painful and difficult and even ugly at times, um, for Robert, was a tremendous um, accelerated learning curve. Uh, I think Robert's, you know, probably the fastest learner that I've ever been around as a journalist to begin with. So he's a really quick study. But in the case of, you know, coming into the NFL, there was so much to learn. It was an entirely new business for him. Um, And he learned it with Parcells partly because there was so much friction in that relationship. Um, It taught Robert a lot of things that I think helped him in how he approached Belichick. Obviously, Mike, there was a coach in between, Pete Carroll, and I don't mean to overlook that. But the reality is that the experience with Parcells was was great preparation ground for for the relationship he would build with Belichick. And their professional owner-to-coach rapport is very different uh, than the kind of rapport that he had with Parcells. And so... One of the things you say, Jeff, sort of staying on that topic about sort of the relationship with the coach is is reflected toward the end of the book where, where you talk about, I mean, spoiler alert, Tom Brady leaves the Patriots. Um, and one of the things you note is that there were very few times where Kraft was talking to both Belichick and Brady. He was often the connective tissue in many ways, the go-between, you know, and and clearly intrinsic in what has what is clearly viewed as one of the most successful player coach relationships in professional sports history and sports history. Talk about that a little bit and and what you learned about how Kraft was able to manage that because that is a that's a management lesson in some ways. Absolutely. One of the best interviews I did for this book was with Rupert Murdoch who by the way, isn't in the book. Um, But I interviewed a lot of people, uh, really smart, insightful people who don't actually appear in the narrative. Murdoch was one of them. And the reason I interviewed Rupert was because he's he's sort of been in business with Kraft for a long time because of Kraft's role on the media and television committees for the NFL. And Murdoch 
said this to me. He said, if if Robert Kraft had gone into politics, he probably would have gone down in history as one of the greatest diplomats in American history. But he didn't go into politics. He ended up going into professional sports. And if you really want to understand how great of a diplomat Robert Kraft is, you just have to look at how he kept Tom Brady and Bill Belichick together for 20 years. It's something that no other owner could have achieved. That, to me, in a nutshell, sort of gets at the crux of the, the secret behind the dynasty. And w- what I would say about w- one of my favorite chapters in the book is called Shuttle Diplomacy. It's, it's toward the very back of the book. It's one of the last chapters, and it's, it's where you really see the way that Robert built relationships with Tom and Bill, and they're very different relationships. Tom, it's a familial father-son-like relationship. With Bill, it is strictly a professional, efficient relationship. Both relationships are valuable and both work. But the interesting thing is, and and this is what I say in that chapter, is that it was rare for Kraft, Parcell, excuse me, Kraft, Brady, and Belichick to be in a room together. For 20 years, it was rare for the three of them to meet alone together, the three of them. It happened in rare instances, but what normally happened is that Kraft would meet with one of them, and then he'd meet with the other one, and then he'd go back to the other one, and then he'd meet with the other one. That's that diplomacy factor. Um, When they are together, and there's a great scene where Brady's ready to leave. This is, you know, after the loss to the Eagles in the Super Bowl, when Brady's ready to leave New England, they have what I would refer to as a summit at Kraft's house and the three of them are alone in a room. That's the rarity. That did not happen very often. But occasionally, Robert could bring them together. And I think that's what ties it so nicely to the last scene. And I won't do a spoiler, but you know how this book ends. And there's some great symbolism in the way Tom Brady says goodbye and the phone calls that are made in Robert's house as Robert is basically dialing Bill's number that, to me, is the ultimate example of the kind of shuttle diplomacy that had been going on for really the last 10 years in New England. Right, and it was ironic that a guy named Brady left uh, New England on St. Patrick's Day. That's uh, something we all chuckled about here. <laughs> how, wh- what was your access to uh, Bill Belichick, and how cooperative or uncooperative was he uh, in writing this book? So the access with Belichick was um, I approached Belichick and Brady around the same time um, to request interviews with them. And in both instances, um, they requested questions in advance. And in both instances, I willingly provided those um, under the assumption that I would then do face-to-face interviews with them. And in Brady's case, that's exactly what happened. Um, In Bill's case, uh, after reading the questions, which I have to admit, there were um, a ridiculous amount of questions that I gave Bill. I mean, initially I got an email back saying, seriously, (laughs) you really want him to answer all these questions. But um, what Bill decided to do was answer the questions in writing, which I was totally open to because uh, I've done that before uh, in plenty of instances over my career. And uh, what I find, Mike, is that at times – especially when you're dealing with someone who's smart and thoughtful, and Bill is both of those, you sometimes get better answers in writing than you do when you're sitting down 
and a person is giving you Reader's Digest version answers. And so um, the other thing is, as a journalist, you take what you can get. And so if someone says, I will do it, but it's going to be this way, my response is always, thank you very much, because you don't owe me anything. And in any event, Bill uh, gave me some really fascinating responses in writing to some of the questions that I asked him. There were questions that he decided not to answer, which I fully expected, by the way. Um, But I thought that the key thing was he weighed in on things that I know he hasn't talked about before. For instance, the opening scene in the hospital where Drew Bledsoe is is near death. And there's that great scene where Belichick, Brady, Kraft are in the room when Bledsoe wakes up. Um, I don't think Bill's ever talked about that before. Um, I asked about things like that, and and Bill went there in in some of his written answers. And so um, that's the way it went with Bill. Uh, with Tom and Robert and Jonathan and others, it was different. Um, but in my mind, it was all, you know, even Randy Moss, who doesn't do interviews, um, he asked for the questions in advance as well, and I was expecting to uh, sit down with him. And then one day I, I got a digital file over email of him talking to a, an ESPN reporter on the sideline of a Monday night football game where he was basically answering all my questions and then sent me a recording of it. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you just you take the information the way you can get it. I felt very fortunate that basically everybody that I asked in one way or another participated. Jeff, when you think about the, the growth of this franchise – and I know there are a lot of catalytic moments along the way, but in terms of the Patriots becoming as valuable, literally and figuratively, as they have become, what's the moment? I mean, what what if there is one moment, or or if there's one moment that especially sticks out, what is it where the Patriots? Because I think it's easy to forget until you read a book like this that this was a, pardon me, Lynchy, like this is a backwater team like this is a team that almost left Massachusetts at at one point for Connecticut I mean this was not the dynasty this was not one of the most valuable franchises in the world for a long time as you think about that like what's the moment I you know it would be if we were being fair especially for business people that are listening to a program like this obviously there are a bunch of but four moments that would have doomed this this franchise. And a lot of those involve um, crafts, maneuverings, and business savvy just to get the team. There are all these places along the journey where if Kraft had done one thing differently, he never would have got the team in the first place. And we would not be talking today about a Patriots dynasty because it never would have happened. So I think there's a whole bunch of those pivotal business decisions that Kraft makes just to get the team. And then, of course, there's his decision to go after Belichick when all the smart people in the room, from the commissioner on down, were telling him it would be the biggest business mistake of his career to hire Belichick. So there's all of that. But if if you're looking for a moment that the average fan can point to and say, this is the moment, I think it's that moment in the hospital, and that's why I opened the book there, where Bledsoe wakes up and looks up and sees Tommy, the kid who's never started a game, sees Coach Belichick, who has a career-losing record, and sees Mr. Kraft, who'd yet to win anything. And 
right then, he is seeing the, the nucleus of the greatest football dynasty in the history of the NFL, and no one in their right mind would have thought that at that moment. But I think what happened that day in the stadium where Drew Bledsoe takes that hit from Mo Lewis, that moment changed the, the course of history for this franchise um, and for the rest of the NFL because it, it empowered and enabled Bill Belichick to do something that he wanted to do already but didn't think he could do, which was put Brady in the lineup. He wanted to do that before that season even started, but knew he couldn't. Now he could, and history changed in that moment. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm going to follow up on that, uh, Jeff, because I did the preseason games that, uh, for about 14 years and we'd have a meeting with Bill Belichick on uh, the day before. And Don Cricky uh, was the play-by-play guy, and he'd say, who's the most improved player in camp? Tom Brady. Well, who's the most uh, Tom Brady? The answer to every question was Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. And I had in my hand uh, the depth chart from the last game they played in the 2000 season, and Tom Brady was number four in the depth chart. So in my mind, I was saying, he really likes this Tom Brady guy. Somehow he's going to play. And... The incident with Mo Lewis in that September game against the New York Jets, you're right, opened the door. And then, of course, uh, when Bledsoe became healthy enough to play, uh, that was it. It was over. And and I think that's a great point that you made there. The other thing I want to ask you is that, you know, Robert Kraft told me years ago, he said, the only thing I know about television is the remote control. Turn it on and turn it off. How did he become such a big player in getting CBS uh, back in the National Football League, which I think was a real big game changer financially <laughs> for the league. I think it's hilarious that Robert said that to you um, because that's so classic Robert Kraft. Um, he knows more about television than all the rest of the owners combined um, because he understands media. He understands public perception. He he is so in tuned uh, that uh, and I think what makes him so effective is that he says things like that about himself. Um, that's part of his savviness. But I think the thing is, is he, he's a relationship person. And his relationship with Mel Karmazin, who becomes the CEO of CBS, um, was critical to getting CBS back into the NFL. We all know that when Rupert Murdoch and Fox showed up in the early 90s, they shocked the world when they got the NFC contract away from CBS by bidding the moon. And suddenly CBS realized that their network was going into the tank without football. The question became, how do we get back in the game? And Carmazin and Sean McManus, who was then the president of CBS Sports, that's all they were trying to figure out was how do we get in. Carmazin's relationship with Kraft was pivotal in, in that happening. Um, they trusted each other. The most important thing was Carmazin trusted Kraft. And Kraft didn't give CBS an edge. It's not like he favored them. Um, I think that that's one of the reasons that Kraft's such a good arbiter, like he was with the labor deal in 2011. 
Um, he has the ability to understand both sides. He's viewed as fair and honest. Um, and I think it, it, it was so critical, that trust that Carmazin had in him, which opened the door for CBS to come in. And this time they didn't have to outbid Fox. They just had to outbid NBC. And they did. And now CBS has since had this incredible relationship with the AFC and the NFL. And the Patriots have obviously been the most dominant team in the NFL since CBS came back into televising professional football. So it turned out to be a great marriage for the network and the league, but also a great marriage for the network and the team. And so, Jeff, you know, here we are talking in early November of 2020, and and I'd say this with all love and affection to all the Patriots fans out there, it's not going great. I mean, this dynasty is, by all accounts, at least the dynasty that won all of those Super Bowls, uh, is over. I mean, you you have two of the remaining players, but obviously Tom Brady has has decamped to Tampa, and you know seems to be doing pretty well. Although last game against the the Saints was not great, um, one of his worst performances. But where does this franchise go from here? Given that so much of its value and so much of its success as a business was reliant on this triumvirate. Well, I, first of all, I, I personally define uh, dynasties by personnel. And mm. so uh, in the book, I talk about previous football dynasties, specifically the Packers, the Steelers, and the 49ers. Each of those dynasties were defined by uh, the owner, coach, and quarterback of that time. So, you, you know, you got Lombardi and Starr. You got Chuck Knoll and Bradshaw and Rooney. And you have DeBartolo, Walsh, and Montana. When the, a, a key principle of, of that leaves, dynasties change. They end. And Brady was absolutely integral to the Patriots dynasty. He is gone now. That dynasty is history. It's an era in New England. But if you think back, like the Yankees and the Celtics uh, and the Lakers have had multiple dynasties. Um, there's the, you know, the Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio Yankees, and then there's the Derek Jeter Yankees, and there's the Magic Johnson Lakers, and then there's the Kobe Shaq Lakers. The, the idea that the Patriots can't have another dynasty and can't win again is silly. Um, it's just the dynasty that we, we've all watched for 20 years, the belichick Kraft brady dynasty, is now in the history books. I, I think it's fair to say and safe to say we will never see another dynasty like that one ever, not, not only in New England, but anywhere. It's, to me, the golden era of dynasties in professional football has just finished. But I think it would be very premature and, it's, and equally silly to sit here and say, based on seven, eight, nine games, we're making projections about the future of the Patriots. I mean, the temptation in sports is to look microscopically week to week and make huge conclusions based on that. I like to look at things from a much, you know, get, let's get much higher up in the air and look much further down the road. It's way too early to make projections about where this team is headed as an organization based on a few games and, you know, a few outcomes. Um, and I'd say the same thing about Brady and Tampa Bay. I, we just need to see more. We need mm -hmm. to give it more time and see what happens. But in the case of the Patriots, uh, 
We know the infrastructure. We know the management style. That's not changing. The, the crafts are still at the helm, and the way they run the organization isn't going any, isn't changing. Bill Belichick's still the coach. I don't know how much longer he's going to be there, but the point is, while he's there, it's going to be run the way it's always been run. So then it's just a question of personnel and who the players will be. And I think, in fairness to the team and the organization, we need more time before we really make judgments about whether this team will return to its winning ways. But I think that there's every reason to believe that they will. So, Jeff, this is a question that's uh, it's almost a, a weekly question up here in New England. Was it Brady or was it Belichick? And I think it's really unfair. I, 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 I don't think that they could sustain any championship without being uh, having this marriage for 20 years. That, that, that's my two cents on that. What's your take? <laughs> uh, your two cents might be worth more than my two cents because you watched it for 20 years, Mike. My coming away from it, I was struck by a moment where um, the first time I interviewed, I'd done many interviews with Robert Kraft, but the first time I interviewed him in New York at his apartment there, I remember the moment I walked in and had this, it's a visual image I'll never forget, but looking across the room, there were two framed pictures of the Beatles on the wall, and they were signed, and they were dated from when the Beatles first came to America to appear on the Ed Sullivan Show. And I asked Robert about those pictures, and it led to a conversation about the breakup of the Beatles. And that's when it struck me, and I I actually made the decision that day to compare Brady and Belichick to Lennon and McCartney in my book. Because what what I realized was Robert's a real student of history, and not just the business he's in, but he looks at all kinds of things. I think really early on, like before they even won three Super Bowls, he realized that he had the equivalent of John and Paul on his payroll. And I think for, for Kraft, it was all about how to keep the two Beatles on the same stage for as long as possible. I think that the smart thing about Robert was he, he never saw one of them as more important or valuable than the other. And he recognized that both of them were absolutely essential to the winning machine that they were building in New England. And that's why he treated the two men the way he did. He, he didn't favor one over the other. And he did everything humanly possible to keep them both on the payroll, to keep them happy, to, to do the things that they both needed to remain in New England. Um, and I think the way he looks at it is the way kind of I choose to look at it. I think there's no way Belichick wins six Super Bowls without Tom I don't think Tom wins or gets to nine Super Bowls without Bill. I think that was the magic that that New England had and the envy that the rest of the league had with just knowing that we can't beat those two guys. Jeff Benedict, we could talk to you all day. This was terrific. Congratulations again uh, on the book. It's called The Dynasty. It is a definitive look at the New England Patriots. And as we just discussed, you know, something that we will probably never see again. Really good to catch up with you. A hat tip to our mutual friend, uh, Brent Montgomery, for bringing us together. Uh, It is really a terrific book, and I'm so glad we got to spend some time with you. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. It was a privilege. Jeff, Jeff was real, a real honor and a real thrill. And, uh, you know, I tell you, I, I thought I knew everything about the Patriots, but I didn't uh, after I read this book right here. Bravo and well done and a real honor to uh, chat with you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You can catch our podcast right here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. 
And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me on Twitter at LynchyWCBB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports for Bloomberg Radio around the world. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.